Hello, and welcome back to the Ocean Matters podcast. Today, we're going to talk again about Antarctica and something referred to as an anchoring of ice shelves. Imagine you have a mass of ice and there's a temperature and that temperature does not move or oscillates within, that means changes within numbers every X years and there are cycles. However, as little bits of ice, icebergs if you wish, start falling apart and go off to sea to melt away, subsequently Antarctica is shrinking. But what happens is that they're also more vulnerable to other temperatures, higher temperatures, and subsequently ice formation is affected. So that's the general picture. It increases the acceleration of melt and reduces the the ability to uh, to 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 create more ice in several ways. Here is the article. I found it in um, nature.com. It is titled Progressive Unanchoring of Antarctic Ice Shelves Since 1973. It was published this year, a little early in February, and authored by Robert Bingham and Bertie Miles. The mass loss of the Antarctic ice sheet has been driven primarily by the thinning of floating ice shelves that fringe the ice sheet, reducing their buttressing potential and causing land ice to accelerate into the ocean. Observations of ice shelf thickness change by satellite altimetry stretch back to only 1992, and previous information about thinning remains unquantified. However, extending the record of ice shelf thickness change is possible by proxy, by measuring the change in area of the surface expression of pinning points, local bathymetric highs on which ice shelves are anchored. Here, we measure pinning point change over three epochs spanning the periods 1973 to 1989, 1989 to 2000, and 2000 to 2022 and thus, by proxy, infer changes to ice shelf thickness back to 1973-1989. We show that only small localized pockets of ice shelves were thinning between 1973 and 1989, located primarily in the Amundsen Sea Embayment and the Wilkes Land coastline. Ice shelf thinning spreads rapidly into the 1990s and 2000s, and is best characterized by the proportion of pinning points reducing in extent. Only 15% of pinning points reduced from 1973 to 1989, before increasing to 25% from 1989 to 2000, and 37% from 2000 to 2022. A continuation, a continuation of this trend would further reduce the buttressing potential of ice shells enhancing ice discharge and accelerating the contribution of Antarctica to sea level rise. Fantastic writing, but just to give it um, another uh, a little more context, what's happening is they're measuring during three periods the amount of ice, how fast it melts away into the ocean. And in doing that over three different periods, in history, 
they notice that the acceleration is greater and greater. Now to the main article. The contribution of the Antarctic ice sheet to global sea level rise has been accelerating, enhancing the risk of flooding and other associated hazards to low-lying coastal communities. Much of this mass loss has been attributed to warm ocean currents weakening the buttressing effects of its ice shelves, primarily in West Antarctica and the Wilkes Land coastline of East Antarctica, and hence driving an acceleration of ice discharge into the ocean. Therefore, observational records that track the change in ice shelf thickness over the longest possible time periods are important for explaining how the Antarctic ice sheet is changing and hence forecasting future mass loss. Existing records of ice shelf thickness change derived from satellite altimetry span 30 years and have shown major ice shelf thinning in some parts of West Antarctica and the Western Antarctic Peninsula. Thinning in the Wilkesland sector of East Antarctica and limited change in most other ice shelves. However, this satellite altimetry record remains short relative to the typically multi-decadal response times of many Antarctic ice shelves, and we do not know how widespread ice shelf thinning was before 1992. Extending records of ice shelf thickness change is important because a longer time series may directly help to lower uncertainties associated with the future contribution of Antarctica to global sea level by helping to calibrate numerical models. Here, to extend the ice shelf thickness change record to encompass the past 50 years, we implement a method that uses optical satellite imagery to track changes in the surface expression of pinning points that we treat as a proxy for ice shelf thickness change. Pinning points are common features around the Antarctic coastline that form when part of a floating ice shelf anchors onto a bathymetric high. This interaction forms a bump on the otherwise smooth ice shelf surface that is visible in optical imagery. Crucially for the analysis presented here, the surface expression of this bump changes through time as an ice shelf thickens or thins. In response to its altering proportion of contact with the underlying bedrock high. Although we focus here mainly on the monitoring of pinning point change as a proxy for changes in ice shelf thickness, we also note that pinning points are fundamentally important to ice sheet mass balance because they buttress portions of upstream ice flow and limit ice discharge into the ocean. The pinning points can also play an important part in carving by promoting rifting and they influence the spatial pattern of basal melt by altering ocean circulation beneath ice shelves. For all these reasons, understanding better the evolution of pinning points through the longest possible time periods is important. Here, we have systematically tracked changes in the surface expression of pinning points around Antarctica since 1973 to provide the first pan-ice sheet observation-based characterization of Antarctic ice shelf thickness change for the past five decades. We use the full Landsat, Landsat satellite image archive to create two new Eurocloud-free mosaics of the ice shelves of Antarctica for 1973 and 1989, with spatial resolutions of 60 meters and 30 meters, respectively, 
30 and 50, 60, sorry, respectively. These two new mosaics represent our earliest near-cloud-free snapshots, snapshots of the ice shelves of Antarctica. We use these mosaics along with the existing Landsat 7 Lima mosaic from 2000 and Landsat 8 and Landsat 9 imagery from 2022 to track changes in the surface expression of pinning points from 1973-89, to 2000, and 2000 to 2022, and to produce a long-term record of change between 1973 and 2022. Right. So, overall, we characterize the change in the surface expression of pinning points into three categories, smaller in extent, no detectable change, and larger in extent. A comparison between pinning point change from 2000 to 2022 and ice shelf thickness change derived from the ISAT and ISAT-2 satellites from 2003 to 2019 shows a broad agreement in the spatial pattern of change. That is, the vast majority, 86%, of pinning points that grew in area correspond to regions in which satellite altimetry recorded ice shelf thickening, whereas 85% of pinning points that experience no detectable change in area are in regions in which altimetry diagnosed limited change in ice shelf thickness. A smaller proportion, 66%, of the pinning points that reduced in extent correspond to regions of altimetry detected ice shelf thinning. Several factors might have driven this reduced correlation, including the underground of pinning points causing short-term localized thickening downstream in the wake of the former pinning points and our cautious approach to classifying pinning point change, that is, classifying pinning points as no detectable change in which there is ambiguity. However, in some rare instances, we suggest that the visible retreat of the ground in line from Landsat imagery and extensive nearby pinning point loss are inco incompatible with simultaneous ice shelf thickening. For example, George 6 ice shelf. This suggests that in rare highly localized examples, satellite altimetry may not be capturing the true direction in ice shelf thickness change. Comparing two different altimetry products, in highly localized areas, we also observe conflicting signals in the direction of ice shelf thickness change. Overall, however, the broad agreement between pinning point change and satellite altimetry within the overlapping timeframes, coupled with theoretical considerations, substantiates the role of our pinning point observation from 1973 to 1989 and 1989 to 2000 as a proxy for ascertaining the direction of ice shelf thickness change. Having demonstrated the validity of using changes to the area of pinning points surrounding Antarctica as a proxy for change to ice shelf thickness, we present the first observationally constrained estimates of pinning point change across Antarctica through the 1970s and 1980s, which in turn enable us to infer ice shelf thickness changes around the ice sheet over the past 50 years. These observations demonstrate that ice shelf thinning was generally less extensive around much of Antarctica than has been observed since early 1990s, onwards from satellite altimetry. However, 
The observations show that even between 1973 and 1989, concentrated hotspots of ice shelf thinning were underway in Amundsen Sea Embayment in West Antarctica and in Holmes. Moscow University and Totten ice shelves in East Antarctica, demonstrating that these ice shelves began to thin at least 50 years ago. Pinning point loss and ice shelf thinning subsequently spread, and this is characterized by 15% of all mapped pinning points reducing in extent from 1973 to 1989, increasing 25% in 1989 to 2000, and 37% between 2000 and 2022. In the following sections, we focus on the regional variations in pinning point change across the Antarctic Peninsula, West Antarctica, and East Antarctica. In the Antarctic Peninsula, all pinning points were lost following the collapse of Prince Gustav, Lawson A, Lawson B, and Wardy ice shelves over the past 50 years. Further south, and facing the Weddell Sea, there has been very little change to pinning on Lawson C and Lawson D ice shelves. The only exception has been Borden Ice Rise, located at the front of Lawson C ice shelf. An ice rise is a type of pinning point that diverts ice flow around it, and it is characterized by maintaining its lo own local flow regime. At this ice rise, basal melt rates have been increasing and our observations flag visible shrinkage since 1989. The ongoing undergrounding from this ice rise will have an impact on local ice flow, but the advance or the absence, rather, of any major changes elsewhere on the Larsen Sea ice shelf, which suggests that there is a limited prospect of catastrophic disintegration anytime soon. Ice shelves facing the Bellinghausen Sea, incorporating those in both the Western Antarctic Peninsula and in West Antarctica, exhibited contrasting changes in pinning points, which can be attributed to the varying drafts of these ice shelves. The relatively thin Wilkins and Abbott ice shelves thickened from 1973 to 1989 and 1989 to 2000, whereas small sections of the relatively thick George VI, Strange and Venable ice shelves were already thinning during this time period. This implied that the thermocline on the continental shelf was deeper than the draft of Wilkins and Abbott ice shelves, but shallower than the draft of George VI strange and venable ice shelves stenge sorry and venable ice shelves allowing the warmer ocean water to facilitate basal melting however a clear shift in pattern occurred between 2000 and 2022 in which wilkins and abbott ice shelves transitioned to a more neutral pattern with some pinning points continuing to grow whereas others started to reduce in extent for the first time in the observational record this is consistent with ocean observations from the 2000s, which placed the thermocline at approximately the same depth as the mean draft of both Wilkins and Abbott ice shelves, which means the layer of warm water at the bottom of the ocean column would be able to intermittently reach the basis of these thinner ice shelves. At George VI, Stanger and Venable ice shelves, much more widespread thinning took hold, with nearly every pinning point reducing in extent. Collectively, these patterns imply a decadal scale raising of the thermocline depth and thickening of the layer of warm water on the continental shelf across the entire Bellinghausen Sea sector since 2000 that is consistent with ocean reanalysis product, 
reanalysis products. In the Amundsen C sector in West Antarctica, 35% of pinning points reduced in area and 15% increased in area between 1973 and 1989. During this period, our results show that Pine Iceland Glacier, Thwaites, Dotson and Croson ice shells were already unanchoring from their pinning points and thinning decades before the earliest satellite altimetry observations. This confirms that the processes driving the mass loss of West Antarctica have been underway for at least 50 years. Strong decadal variability in ocean forcing exists in this region and ocean temperature data from the central tropical Pacific indicate that ocean conditions in the Amundsen Sea sector were relatively cool during the mid-1970s to mid-1990s. So we consider it that the pervasive thinning observed here was probably already well underway from before our records begin. This would be consistent with geological evidence that Pine Island's glacier to retreat in the 1940s after its ice shelf unanchored from a key pinning point, or possibly even earlier to coincide with the grounding line retreat of Thwaites Glacier. By contrast, further west on the Amundsen Sea, coastline pinning points changed little between 1973 and 1989, with some even growing slightly in extent, and hence we did not detect evidence for ice shelf thinning over much of the Getz ice shelf until the 1990s. Pinning point loss markedly spread between 1989 and 2000, with 83% of pinning points reducing in area and only the far western section of Getz ice shelf escaping major pinning point loss and ice shelf thinning. In 2000-2022, 94% of all remaining pinning points in the Amundsen Sea sector reduced in area. Consistent with the widespread ice shelf thinning diagnosed by satellite altimetry. In Marie Birdland, amidst a general trend for little pinning point change, our observations highlight notable pinning point loss on Hull Glacier between 1973 and 1989. The presence of a heavily damaged ice tongue on Hull Glacier in 1973 may suggest a more prominent ice tongue in the years or decades before, and would imply that Hull Glacier was one of the few glaciers in Antarctica to be thinning in the 1970s. This long-term thinning may help to explain its recent rapid acceleration and ground-in-line retreat. At the heavily pinned Salzberger ice shelf, very little change has occurred over the past five decades, although pinning point loss near the grounding line suggests that warm water is now capable of reaching the grounding line and may represent the precursor to more widespread thinning across the ice shelf. Further west again, several pinning points grew sustainably, or sorry, substantially, on the Swinburne ice shelf, in which we estimate that parts of the ice shelf have thickened upwards of 30 meters. Across the Ross ice shelf, most pinning points change very little, but Steers has ice rise and two other large ice rises located downstream of Cam ice stream shrank consistently. Thus, our observations validate numerical models that have predicted thinning of this section of the Ross ice shelf in response to the shutdown of Cam ice stream. We also observe between 2000 and 2022 a 5-kilometer retreat of Engelhardt Ice Ridge 
at the junction between Cam and Willem's ice streams, continuing a longer-term retreat from at least the 1960s. In East Antarctica, major pinning point loss over the past 50 years has been concentrated around the fringes of Wiltsland. However, unlike for West Antarctica and the Antarctic Peninsula, there has been no clear acceleration in the proportion of pinning points reducing in area. There has been a reduction in pinning throughout each of three epochs at Holmes Ice Shelf, highlighting the long-term thinning of this ice shelf. At Moscow University Ice Shelf, six kilometers of erosion has occurred from an elongated ice rise that separates the ice shelf and the open ocean between 1973 and 2000. The shrinkage of this ice rise has been so extensive that it has allowed a new ice shelf tributary to develop across its southern bank, sorry, southern flank. Continuing melted, continued melting of this ridge could cause a major change in the flow direction of the entire ice shelf, resulting in a substantial change in the dynamics of the entire Moscow University glacier catchment. We observe more subtle losses of pinning at Totten Ice Shelf from 1973 to 1989 and 1989 to 2000 before most widespread pinning point loss between 2000 and 2022. Outlet glaciers in Wilkesland have been, that would be Wilkesland, have been losing mass since the beginning of the satellite era. Our results show that at least part of their ice shelves were already thinning between 1973 and 1989. This hints that the initial trigger for mass loss and acceleration of outlet glaciers in Wilkesland may have occurred pre-1973. In Victoria Land and George V Land, we, that would be George V Land, we observe the loss of a major pinning point on the Campbell Glacier Tongue and the shrinkage of a pinning point on the Rennick Ice Shelf in the 2000s. But limited change elsewhere. The reduction in pinning of Rennick Ice Shelf is consistent with thinning in satellite altimetry and together with acceleration of the nearby Matusevich Glacier in the 2000s implies that warm water has recently reached this part of the Victoria Land coastline. At Shackleton Ice Shelf, most pinning points have not experienced substantive change, but we do observe some variability in a band of pinning points near its ice front. There has, however, been major unpinning of the nearby Conger Ice Shelf following its gradual retreat since 1973. In Ender Land, there was limited change in pinning at the Wilmer Robert Downer embayment and in Lutzow Holm Bay in 1973-89 and 1989-2000, but a growth of pinning points in these regions between 2000 and 2022 confirms that these ice shelves have thickened. In Lutzow Holm Bay, thickening is consistent with the strengthening of easterly winds, reducing the inflow of warm water underneath ice shelves. Further west, some pinning point loss was experienced at the front of Roi Baudouin ice shelf, and a pinning point disappeared from neighboring Borschgravink ice shelf. Sorry. In Droning Maud and Coatsland, we observed very few changes to most of the pinning points that fringed the coastline. Across Filchno Rhone ice shelf, most pinning points also remained unchanged over the past five decades although there were some notable changes to some of the prominent ice rises. 
The internal structures of ice rises have been crucial in reconstructing former ice sheet flow and thickness change over centuries to millennia. Some of our most striking observations are the particularly large breakups of or growths of some ice rises, which provide insights into how these features evolve over decadal timescales. The five kilometer wide Boschgrevink ice rise ungrounded in the late 1970s. Despite expressing limited ice shelf thickness change in modern satellite altimetry records, this hints at vigorous ice shelf thinning occurring before its undergrounding in the late 1970s, strongly implying that the sub-ice shelf bathymetry is conducive to warm water intrusions. After ungrounding, the relic ice rays was transported downstream through the 1990s and 2000s before regrounding towards the ice front and forming the present-day ice rumpel. In 1973, Hemen Ice Rise, located at the front of Ronne Ice Shelf, was 22 kilometers along its long axis, whereafter, for the following three decades, it gradually shrank before breaking apart in the mid-2000s. Before this breakup, it had played an important part in regulating the carving of Ronne or Ronne Ice Shelf by promoting rifting. Today, at this location, there is now less rifting, meaning a change in carving behavior might be expected over the coming decades. At Kolf Ice Rise, also located on Ronne Ice Shell, we observe a 20-kilometer growth of the grounded section of the ice rise on its northern flank. Analysis of the reference elevation model of Antarctica, digital elevation model, shows that the surface of this newly grounded section is now around 25 meters higher than the surrounding floating ice shelf. This may represent the first stages of expansion of the entire Kolf ice rise. Importantly, current numerical models do not account for any feedback associated with major changes in ice rises. Our observations show that these processes can happen relatively rapidly and on sections of ice shelves in which there has been limited thickness change over the satellite altimetry era. The results now. Our results have shown a marked widespread and accelerating unanchoring of ice shells from pinning points in the Western Antarctic Peninsula and in the Amundsen Sea sector over the past five decades. Meanwhile, there has also been steady, steady unanchoring of ice shells from pinning points in the Wilkeslands region of East Antarctica. The loss of many of these pinning points is likely to be permanent, owing to their hysteretic evolution, meaning that an ice shelf thickening of a greater magnitude is required for pinning points to reform at comparable size. On multi-decadal timescales, this pinning point loss may represent the first steps of irreversible ice shelf loss and subsequent mass loss of the previously impounded ice sheet. Our insight into the spatial pattern of ice shelf thickness change in the 1970s and 1980s shows that ice shelf thinning was already well underway in the Amundsen Sea sector and Wilts Land. After 1989, thinning has spread progressively across much of West Antarctica and the Western Antarctic Peninsula, with previously unchanged pinning points reducing in extent through the 1990s to the present.
We know that ice shelf thinning is driven predominantly by warm modified circumpolar deep water flooding the continental shelf and melting the basis of ice shelves. However, the primary mechanism driving this progressive flooding of the continental shelf by warm MCDW over the past five decades remains unclear. There is some evidence that an anthropogenic-driven trend in winds over the continental shelf edge in the Amundsen Sea may be driving an increase in MCDW transport onto the continental shelf since the 1920s. In East Antarctica, the poleward shift of MCDW since the 1930s in response to the poleward shift of westerly winds may also be driving the thinning of ice shelves. Meanwhile, Decadal scale feedbacks emanating from the input of fresh water from ice shelf melt onto the continental shelf may enhance the delivery of warm water beneath ice shelves on local scales, and the degree to which this may upscale to affect larger geographic scales continues to be investigated. The overall acceleration of pinning point loss is striking and paints a bleak feature for many Antarctic ice shelves. From 2000 to 2022, the vast majority of pinning points in the 3,000-kilometer stretch of coastline in West Antarctica, from George VI ice shelf to Hull Glacier, along with 800-kilometer stretch of coastline in Wilkes Land, reduced in area or completely disappeared. Over the past 50 years, thinning at some of the most rapidly changing ice shelves means that they are close to being or have already become completely unanchored. For example, Thwaites Eastern Ice Shelf and Pine Island Glacier, which means that there is limited potential for further reductions in buttressing. Instead, the greatest concern may lie with those major ice shelves that are still substantially pinned but have shown clear signs of accelerated pinning point loss. This includes George VI, Getz, Holmes, Moscow University and Totten Ice Shelves. A continuation of pinning point loss in those locations will probably reduce buttressing and result in an acceleration in both ice discharge and mass loss. Uh, small parenthesis, um, you have the title of this article and you can find it in nature.com and they have some maps where you'll find all the different pinpoints, you'll find all the different names, but another way to do this would be for you to look at the uh, probably a blown up map of Antarctica and that way you can follow all these different points. And it's a, it's a fascinating exercise. Um, if you wish to follow your curiosity, that could be a, a great exercise to follow. So now a few methods on satellite imagery. We use the Landsat 1 and Landsat 2 satellite image archive to create the earliest near cloud mosaic of the ice shelves of Antarctica from the 1970s. Each image incorporated into the mosaic has a spatial resolution of 60 meters. From a preliminary inspection of the imagery, band 4 was determined to be the most suitable for pinning point identification. So anyone in AI right now is listening to this a little closer and wondering where to pick up their data. So There are relatively few repeat Landsat 1 and Landsat 2 image scenes, and each footprint often had only a small handful of available images. Therefore, we downloaded all available images, including images with high cloud cover percentages, because some still contain valuable cloud-free sections of ice shelves. 
The geolocation accuracy of the Landsat 1 and Landsat 2 imagery in Antarctica is poor, and images were often offset by tens, seconds, tens sorry, of kilometers. Therefore, we manually co-registered each image by tying stable features, for example, exposed bedrock or buried features in the grounded ice, to Landsat 8 and Landsat 9 imagery. There's some work there in making sure that the data is accurate as you're looking at the same data over, sorry, same spots over different periods, you want to make sure you've got, you're looking at the same uh, points, which have been excellent geolocation accuracy. For most Landsat 1, Landsat 2 images, this gave co-registration accuracy, accuracy to within two pixels. That's amazing. However, for a minority of images with few or no exposed bedrock, the co-registration accuracy may be greater than this. By filtering through all co-registered images and selecting the optimum cloud-free combination of imagery, we were able to produce a near cloud-free mosaic covering nearly all ice shells of Antarctica. The main exception to this is in the Northern Antarctic Peninsula in which there were no cloud-free images available over Larsen and Prince Gustav ice shelves. Elsewhere, the gaps were small and isolated. The mosaic consists of 251 images. 15% are from 1972, 59% from 1973, 19% from 1974, 6% from 1975, 1% from 1976, and less than 1% from 1978. For this paper, we ascribe to the mosaic a year stamp of 1973. A full list of the images used is available in supplementary table. So in order to assess different points, several images are taken and projections are made and estimations are made. And some, based on the amount of data, there is more accuracy. Still, it is man-made work. Uh, you gotta love it. There's a combination of skill common sense, and uh, probably an element of artistry, if I, if I may say. Um, and AI sort of works on the basis of that in many respects. Um, you get the right people with AI, you've got amazing results. We undertook a similar process for the late 1980s mosaic using Landsat 4 and Landsat 5 imagery. We used Band 2 to be consistent with the wavelength of Band 4 in the Landsat 1 and Landsat 2 satellites, and each image has a spatial resolution of 30 meters. The geolocation accuracy of these images is also poor and required manual co-registration with the raw imagery offset by hundreds of meters. The optimum cloud-free combination of imagery mm -hmm. provided complete coverage of all ice shells apart from small isolated regions of cloud cover and the extreme southern sections of Filchneuron and Ross ice shelves. The mosaic consists of 297 images, 8% are from 1986, 2% from 1987, 12% from 1988, 54% from 1989, 22% from 1990, and 2% from 1991. For the purposes of this paper, we ascribe a year stamp of 1989 to the mosaic. A full list of images used is available in the supplementary table. So if you want the X, um, 
extra info and extra C, you can within the article you can find all the info. For 2000, we used the Landsat image mosaic of Antarctica, Lima, which consists of cloud-free Landsat 7 imagery spanning 1999-2003 with a spatial resolution of 30 meters. For 2022, we create a mosaic using Google Earth Engine. We simply selected the most recent Landsat 8 or Landsat 9 imagery with cloud cover of less than 5%, with the earliest date of January 1st, 21. For the few regions in which cloud cover remained, we manually selected cloud-free Landsat 8 or Landsat 9 imagery to cover the small gaps. We used Band 3 to be consistent with earlier imagery that has a spatial resolution of 30 meters. Yeah. So, the pinning point mapping. We primarily identified pinning point locations using an existing inventory of ice rise and rumples. Moreover, we used the Mi Assures, which is measures, interferometry grounding line product to detect pinning points that we that were not included in reference. We also manually identified several pinning points that were not included in either the ice rise and rumple dataset or the measures product and some pinning points that were present present in the 1970s but have subsequently unpinned. Each pinning point forms a bump on the otherwise smooth ice shelf surface that is typically visible in optical imagery. The surface expression of this bump changes through time as an ice shelf thickens or thins. In response to its altering proportion of contact with the underlying bedrock high, for each of our epochs, we classify the change in the surface expression of each pinning point into three categories, growing in area, reducing in area, or no detectable change. If a pinning point disappeared between two sets of images, we recorded it as a reducing in area. We classified pinning point change directly from each Landsat scene by magnifying each pinning point and finding the optimum contrast before flicking between each successive epoch. For 1973 and 1989, there was often only one available cloud-free image over each ice shelf, making it impossible to be consistent in terms of choosing Landsat images with similar solar azimuth angles. In a small number of cases, extremes in lighting caused by different differing solar zenith angles between mosaics may have had an impact on our classification of pinning point change. In the small number of cases in which it is unclear and the surface expression of pinning points has changed, or if it is simply reflects a change in atmospheric conditions, for example shadows, or an artifact of comparing imagery of different qualities. We erred on the side of caution and classified them as showing no detectable change. However, for the vast majority of pinning points, the direction of change is obvious between the periods over which we examine change, and we include detailed examples of our classifications from every major ice shelf in supplementary and through animated imagery. Even for those images that were offset by greater than two Landsat 1 pixels, the change in shape of pinning points is clear. 
Now, the comparison with satellite altimetry. We compared our pinning point classification results with satellite altimetry based observations of ice shelf thickness change over the overlapping time period. The longest available time series of satellite altimetry derived ice shelf thickness change stretches from 1992 to 2018. But this data set is relatively coarse. With a spatial resolution of 10 kilometers and its coverage of some of the smaller ice shelves is limited. Instead, we focus our comparison on the ice shelf thickness change dataset derived from the ISAT and ISAT-2 satellites between 2003 and 2019. This dataset has a higher spatial resolution, covers all floating ice shelves, and its time span is a very close match to our 2002-2022 epoch of pinning point change. We extracted the median thickness change from a 7.5 kilometer buffer surrounding each pinning point in which there is available data. The median thickness change is compared with the map direction of change for each pinning point. Overall, 86% of pinning points that grew in size correspond to regions of ice shelf thickening. 66% of pinning points that reduced in extent correspond to regions of ice shelf thinning and 85% of the pinning points that did not change notably in area correspond to regions of limited change in ice shelf thickness classified as between less than a meter year exponential minus one and one meter year exponential minus one. So I'll have to look at the drafts to fully understand that. I suppose everybody else will too. The main reason why we do not detect change in some pinning points while the surrounding floating ice thins is relative related sorry, to the underlying topography beneath pinning points. A pinning point resting on flat topography would require relatively small reductions in ice shelf thickness for ice to unground from a large surface area, resulting in large visual changes at the surface from optical imagery. This is in contrast to a pinning point with steep sides, in which relatively small reductions in ice shelf thickness may cause only a very small area of the pinning point to underground, resulting in very small changes to the pinning point area at the surface that are not detectable in Landsat imagery. This is the part that guys like me love. <laughs> All Landsat data used in this study are freely available to download from the USGS Earth Explorer. And we include a list of all scenes used in the supplementary information. The co-registered Landsat scenes used in the 1973 and 1989 mosaics are available to download. The 2022 Landsat mosaic is also available to download. The shapefiles that map the direction of pinning point change are available in the supplementary information and at a link that is given here in the article. The inventory of ice rises and rumples used to locate pinning points is also available to download. The measures Antarctic grounding line from differential satellite radar interferometry is also available to download. All mapping figures were produced using ArcMap 10.8. Now, isn't that the most fantastic thing? It means that should you be interested in furthering your knowledge or furthering analysis 
or actually going out and carrying your own interpretations, you would have the data to go out and start doing the work. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that whatever was not clear will send you running to look up the article and that on the basis of that, you'll be able to follow your curiosity, look at maps, find out where all these different points are, understand that you've got a little floating element here, which means that one of the changes of temperature is because it's able to reach from currents under and that the floating parts that were around offer a nice thermal exercise to be further studied. Thank you very much for listening. This was the Ocean Matters podcast.